players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Lightning Bolt, Daze, the Goblin King and many others. Battling head to head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by The Minds Behind, Bosch and Raw on YouTube, Thraben University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by ScrollRack.app and Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and more at ToAMagic.com. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, Losing the Initiative. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week, available in our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access. I'm Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. Thraben U, joined by... I am Brian Koble, a.k.a. Bosch and Roll. And I am Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. All right. Uh, usually I say, how you doing, gentlemen? But, like, we already kind of covered that in the first part, so I guess let's just kind of get into the thick of it tonight, because uh, and... we have some meaty content to cover right shout out before we start to matt d our newest patreon member who along with our other 90 patreon members there are 91 of them in there now that those are good numbers let's make it 100 before the next episode there's good stuff we gave a full review of a theatrical release completely by accident and brian and i did not agree on the outcome if you want to hear brian and i spar a little bit that's the place to go Though it's probably going to happen in this episode, too, because we're talking about Dark Ritual as a magic card again. All right. So we're going to cover a couple of things today. We're going to talk about the popper format, which recently got some bans and some other things placed on the table as well. Um, then we're going to talk about some of the Dominaria United Lords and how they have done for some of our favorite creature decks. And if we have a little bit of time, maybe we'll uh, sprinkle in some acorns and silver border cards. Oh, wait, they're not silver bordered anymore, right? That's the acorn, Phil. Look That's closely. The acorn. All right. Don't make a mistake. Uh, we, we can't even have a silver border as a treat anymore. Okay. So the first thing I want to do uh, to kind of start off this section is just like absolutely pat the popper format panel on the back. They have this awesome video um, for Good Morning Magic that walks through the popper bands that happened with a ton of of rationale good editing so people can clearly see the cards like it was a fantastically executed announcement although we'll get into some of our thoughts about uh, the content of the announcement itself as someone who does a lot of uh, adobe after effects editing shout outs to whoever edited that the transitions were wonderful everything seemed seamless it was quick there was no long pauses i like i spent so much time just looking at the craft behind the video itself while i was watching not that i necessarily agreed with everything but i was just enamored by the editing i loved it so shout out to whoever did that good morning magic is one of the better things that exist gavin has really ramped that up into a production you want to see if you care about magic in general and i'm the sort of person who wants to like read an article skim for the relevant points and move on and i watched all 16 minutes of that video and just like ate it up with popcorn like it was awesome it's eight minutes if you two exit come on phil you got places to be we're busy people i want to i want to take it slow i'm a stacks player at heart I'll, uh, I'll i'll just soak it in gross phil what were the changes four of the initiative cards were banned Aracocra sneak Stirring Bard, 
Underdark Explorer, and Vicious Battle Rager. You mentioned four. How many are there? Seven, I believe. Uh, so I believe three of them were left legal, um, and we'll kind of get into that in a second. Um, short version, the four mana ones were banned, and the vi- uh, Vicious Battle Rager, which is the five mana one that was in Dark Ritual and Cabal Ritual colors, was also banned. I don't like that you call out the rituals there, Phil, but I'm sure we'll talk plenty about that later. Uh, yeah, it is, a, it is a scary day to be a Dark Ritual enthusiast in the pauper format. There is a old banned and restricted update from... 2016 i think it was maybe 2017 that i have screenshotted somewhere on my computer where it was when they banned eye of ugin from modern and they gave this long paragraph about rather than banning every card that is enabled by something let's just ban the enabler eye of ugin is banned and then the very next sentence was lodestone golem is restricted in vintage just completely ignoring mishra's workshop as the thing that made that a problem after literally explaining it Uh, in the context of a different format and there are yeah i mean the fact that they hit all of the four mana initiative things except the one that dark ritual cats where they also hit the five mana one there there is some acknowledgement that there is a an underlying pulse to that decision which we can dig into later I, i mean should we just do that now like we're already flirting with it all right yeah let's go for it uh bryant as our resident dark ritual homie let it rip well here why don't i set the stage Okay. So for, for, for the people who didn't watch this video, um, uh, at the end of the video, Gavin brought up Dark Ritual as something that is potentially on the table for bans. Not as necessarily. Well as Petal. Yeah, not necessarily because cards like that are problematic right now, but because they have been problematic in the past, are problematic with initiative and potentially will be problematic again in the not too distant future once the next somewhat broken thing is being banned. So this was a legitimate, like, asking people in the format, like, what is your real opinion on this? Is this something that should be allowed in this format? Is this an untouchable pillar of the format? Or do we stop this enabler so we can stop banning as many payoff cards? Well, this is only one community space, Phil. I'm not trying to say that this small community represents the internet. But in the Pauper subreddit today, there was a poll. Should Dark Ritual be banned? There was just under 2,000 votes. And barely over 75% said no, it should not be banned. So about 25% of people, give or take, thinks that it should be banned for the sins of the past. If you look at the Chatterstorm deck, Galvanic Relay, Initiative, those are things within recent history, not even counting the old Grapeshot decks or whatever. So I get it. That said, if you look at the blue decks in the format, they've also had a lot of cards banned. Like Popper's just a deck or a format that has a lot of powerful cards in it. It's not a low-power format. Pauper is a high-power-level format, and I think that plays a lot into why I think the initiative was actually cut short. But let's focus on Dark Ritual for now. It's tough because I am obviously biased as someone who is a Dark Ritual gamer. I would hate to see that card banned from the format. As someone who plays a lot of combo decks for my YouTube channel, I actually really struggle to make playable combo decks in Pauper because the bar for something that's actually playable is pretty high due to effects like Affinity or Demir Fairies. These are fine-tuned machines, and to get something even close to competitive or even that can hang with those decks is almost impossible. So if you remove Dark Ritual or Lotus Petal, you're stuck playing things like Archaeomancer, or not Archaeomancer, Goblin Archaeomancer, or 
Goblin Electromancer to make Desperate Ritual good. And it's not good enough for Modern. Why would it ever be good enough for Pauper? So I think you end up with a lot of very, very, very terrible combo decks in the format is your only option for playing combo. And I think that Pauper is a space where there should be something for everyone. It's a large pool format. And if you remove combo from it, you just end up with more Monarch Mirrors, which is what people are complaining about to begin with. Can I just ask a low-hanging fruit question? Is Dark Ritual just a good card in Pauper? Because when I think of that card in Legacy, I think like Dark Ritual, Thoughtseize, Him to Turok, you know, Dark Ritual, Turn 1, Opposition Agent, Dark Ritual, Doomsday. And like Dark Ritual is so good contextually there. But within the context of Popper, where the things that you are powering out are for the most part lower, excluding like the recently banned initiative cards, Dark Ritual has just felt like an average magic card to me within Popper. What's your take as someone more invested in these archetypes? Well, the mono black decks traditionally don't play it. If you look at the Devotion deck, for example, the one that plays Grey Merchant, it doesn't play Dark Ritual. There's the Chittering Rats deck, similar deck, doesn't play Dark Ritual. Dark Ritual into Duress 2-drop isn't really a viable line in this format. You can certainly do it. People can do whatever they want in whatever format, but it's not a competitive choice that you can reasonably make. I saw some posts uh, saying that maybe they should consider unmanning Sinkle or Him to Turok. I would hate to see that, honestly. I think that would not oh, be Oh, man. Fun. Him to Turok fucks in Popper. I've gotten to play with that before. It was fun. I won that event. I think that I would be it. the end of Dark Ritual. If, if, Absolutely. if somehow it was decided that we're going by paper rules instead of magic online rules and him to drop and sinkhole are legal. Like, nah, dude, no. Yeah, n- not interested in that. I'm so I don't think that it's inherently good outside of the broken stuff, if that was your question. Yeah, that that was in, indeed it. And even within the context of that combo shells, like Dark Ritual alone plus one other card is not winning the game. It's part of a, a larger engine that often requires a decent amount of work and Sometimes some amount of things going right. I had a couple of people message me after the announcement, Phil, and their questions were, I think it was a little bit of jabs, right? They were like, hey, Bryant, you going to quit Popper? They're talking about banning Dark Ritual. Yeah, the, those sort of questions are meant to rile me up, right? Thinking about the question from a logical perspective is, Bryant, would you keep on making Popper content if they ban Dark Ritual and Lotus Petal? And I honestly, I don't know the answer because I feel like it'd be pretty difficult. There's so few combo decks, as I mentioned, that are actually viable I'd be stuck playing stuff that didn't win me my money back and being miserable because I can't win or just not recording the format. I'm not trying to play the I'm taking my ball and I'm going home if I can't have it my way sort of stance. It's just like a how do how much do I value recording stuff that's not competitive enough for me to even want to play? And I think it might not honestly be there. Uh, And I'm not trying to sound like a childish kid here. I'm just trying to think about it reasonably, if that makes sense. Yeah, your your content's perspective is very different from mine and Brian's in that regard, in that like you are much more sticking on brand, on theme. Like you you've got a you you've got a ballpark that you really want to play in. Whereas someone waves some money in my face and I'm like, Yeah, I'll record Pox with your pet card. Let's go. There's nothing I wouldn't do for $75 American. <laughs> Let's go. Let's keep Slide it G-rated it my for the inbox. podcast. uh, why don't we talk a little bit more about the initiative band so i love the video i thought that gavin's explanation made a lot of sense wait hold up i didn't even get to agree or disagree you just said all your words about dark ritual i thought we were setting up a a conversation here i'm sorry my god you go ahead okay 
all of that uh, interruption and setup aside, I agree with Brian. <laughs> like there, there are different opinions on ban lists floating around. There is like a, there are like good magic purists who believe that whatever creates the the best most interactive gameplay should be the the goal of a format like people who want to see fetch lands and brainstorm ban and legacy games might be better on a lot of metrics if that happened but it's not legacy anymore and there are banless minimalists who are why do we have 11 cards banned that are enabled by dark ritual and not just ban dark ritual and free those 11 cards i haven't looked at the list i don't know if that's a real number but it feels right and I think that Dark Ritual provides an identity, a gameplay experience that you don't get in most formats because Dark Ritual, there is in Vintage, there's Doomsday and some people play uh, uh, Tendril Storm variants, uh, but they're not very popular or not generally not good, but it's basically Doomsday. If you want to be a Dark Ritual gamer in Vintage, Legacy has a lot of options. And if you're not ready to invest in reserveless cards or power, where are you going to cast a card like Dark Ritual? Sucks in Commander. I mean, high power Commander, you play every, any ritual effect you can get, but it, like the Commander table with your friends at the LGS, Dark Ritual sucks. Those games are going to go 35 turns. There's not a good spot for Dark Ritual. Can't and Kodama's Reach. Yeah, exactly. Like Kodama's Reach, significantly better magic card than Dark Ritual in any game that's going to last more than two turns. It, I think it is important to have a Dark Ritual experience in the format that is made to be affordable. So all commons, Dark Ritual is a common, one of the coolest commons ever printed. It's from Alpha, and we're still talking about banning it in 2022. Magic's 30 years old this coming year, and it, it still hangs with the best of them. I think that experience should be protected, and if banning goofball shit like a commander supplemental set self-contained mechanic is what it takes, like whatever, put four cards on the ban list for it, I'm in. If you had to hold a gun to my head, I mean, Brian would do that anyway, but if you were holding a gun to my head and you said, Brian, you have to pick between initiative or dark ritual, it's not a competition for me, like get initiative out of here. And I'm going to transition now into my actual thoughts on the video and everything else. I thought it was really well done. I've already said that. Gavin laid everything out in a very coherent, concise manner. I understood Gavin's message. I appreciate a large number of people on the Popper format panel. They're intelligent people. And I do believe they have the format's best interest in mind. That said, there's a lot of public outcry for banning initiative immediately, and it was so fast. So, so, so fast. The metagame didn't really have a chance to adjust. So I did record this deck in a video. I got stomped. I went one in four, and it wasn't just like me being like, oh, I'm so unlucky. I was just getting crushed. Squadron Hawk beats you. Kiralta Rebirth beats you. Anything with one ones. I got crushed by elves. I lost a lot of deck or a lot of games where I went turn one initiative creature and they were like, okay, here's two one ones, steal it. You're never getting it back and win the game. That was a very regular play pattern for me. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm just playing this deck wrong. And it wasn't like people commented, they're like, yeah, you could have done this better or this better. I'll be honest, I didn't play perfectly. But they were like, it didn't ultimately didn't matter. I had turn one busted creature and just lost the game over and over. Let's transition this now from league results where I wasn't very good to challenges. The turbo version did win a challenge. And then the larger version of initiative, which is more like a deck that Brian would play, Demir Control, that had some fairies in it. 
initiative creatures, and it played a much larger game plan, that actually won two challenges without Dark Ritual in it. So the version that didn't have Dark Ritual overperformed. Okay, well, if it's winning three challenges in two weeks, it should probably be banned, right? Like, I could see that argument. However, Alex Ullman publishes all of the challenge data. Initiative wasn't even the best performing deck in those two weeks. Phil, you're an intelligent guy. What deck do you think outperformed them? Um, was there some sort of like low to the ground deck with a lot of creatures or evasive was there creatures? Red... Sprite involved? Like the red decks uh, were the largest in the metagame due to Kodalta Rebirth, but uh, the answer is Affinity. In those two, in okay. one I weekend, I just want to pause for a second. Results. Like, pause your point because that little like underhand pitch of like. Is there a disruptive deck in the format with lots of small creatures? Feels like uh, red decks. I'm, I'm thinking Monastery Swiss Beer. I, I suggested Spellstutter Sprite, and you're like, Affinity. Most of the format pillars is the answer <laughs> to your question. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, I, did a bad, I did a bad job teeing you up there. Yeah. My apologies. But in the first weekend, Affinity put up eight results just the first weekend. They actually, I believe the numbers were four and four between the two events. I didn't check this weekend, admittedly. I, I can't speak to those numbers. But the first weekend, it was the best performing deck, even with everybody playing Turbo Initiative. So Affinity was still the best performing thing. And they went and gutted Initiative. I understand that Affinity, according to the video, has barely over a 51 percentage. I hear that. I, I'm actually a big fan of numbers. So like, if that's true, maybe it shouldn't be banned. But if that deck is outperforming initiative and they were unwilling to ch share the data about the initiative win rate, maybe its win rate wasn't good enough. Like they never said the actual win rate in the video. It was mostly just people wanted it gone. They felt that it violated their format. And it, it's tough because I feel like sometimes in legacy, they take way too long. And here I am complaining that they went too quickly on initiative. I completely understand you. But... I think that there should have been some time for adjustments because when I played the initiative deck, I was getting stomped by one ones and I was feeling embarrassed. I was like, how can I not beat one ones here? Ginger Brute was crushing me. Phil, you would love a good Ginger Brute. I've played that card in CEDH, so. Yep, we've seen it guilty. in play in an iron deck. Ooh, I gave a spoiler. Sorry, Alexander. Uh, but oh, I lost my train of thought. You were going to say yes, Brian. I one agree ones. with all of your points. They were perfect. I agree, Brian. Thank you. It is Wizards of the Coast policy, at least uh, in practice, if they haven't said it out loud, not to give ban or ban percentage, like win rate percentage bans in ban articles. Like, did, have they ever done that? Were they like Death Rite Gem and was winning 56% of games? Did they They've say those? Times, okay, yeah. they did give the numbers. Okay. Yep. One of the first times they didn't was Underworld Breach. They were just like, the numbers were too high. We don't want to share this. Yeah. And uh, okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, and if there's also like short-term metagame things to consider, like maybe affinity naturally predates on turbo initiative and we could end up in a sick metagame where affinity has a snowball's chance against initiative and everything else just dies to initiative. Uh, and then like the rest of the metagame suffers. Uh, I, I don't know. Like there's not, a ton of data to go off of and they also didn't share it but i i think that unhealthy play patterns even if they i don't want to say even if they don't win like if a play pattern is just sick like it it's just unfun leads to non-games 
in a bad way. Like I know you like non-games as a combo player and I like them as a control player. Like, hell yeah, give me a non-game in a legacy format. But in a in a format where many decks can't beat the initiative creature. Like there's Cold Author Rebirth, there's Squadron Hawk. If you're on the play with the Hawk deck, uh, there are things you could do. Uh, but ruling out so much of the format because this like ritual ritual initiative thing exists. Uh, I think that taking some community response in mind uh, to if that's worth like 4% on like an actual win rate that pushes it over or whatever, like the line is, I think that's fine. Like non games are bad. If people are quitting the format, even if the deck isn't holding up, like if the deck just sucks, like there's lots of ways you can turn one in legacy. I haven't played against Belcher in a very long time. Uh, Oops, all spells has function. I replaced it, but even Oops, all spells is frequently all in and just, you know, mull to five, do my thing force. Well, okay. Game two. And if that deck was actually like, like if we didn't have force of will in legacy, oops, all spells would be driving people out of the format and popper doesn't have force of will. Alex built this mono blue tempo deck specifically to farm initiative it had like Slitherblade in it, the one mana unblockable creature from Amonkhet. And he had Dispel and Spell Pierce all shoved into the main deck just to clip that Dark Ritual on turn one. Like It was built to make sure you don't have an initiative creature and I can steal it easily if you do. And he still split his matches against initiative. And we were talking about that and I was like, you can play eight Dispel effects in your deck. Sometimes you're going to be on the draw or... When are you going to deploy your Slither Blade? Uh, you can fend off the Dark Ritual turn one, but there's mana sources in the deck. This thing's coming on turn four. Like, it's just if you build too hard target something and you're still losing to it some amount of the time, that seems like an issue to me. I have some thoughts there. So I spoke with some format experts plus some other people that play the format. And one of the big things that kept on coming up is why should I have to change my deck? I don't like that. I. I'm a competitive person and I like winning. I'm a spike and I often try to find ways to win doing what I enjoy. It's pretty rare that I will play the best deck in the format unless I'm trying to prove a point. Like I've won some challenges with rug delver or whatever, but I like winning my way. So I try the best. I always try to find the best way to win playing combo and I'm willing to adjust it based on what the metagame has. I think that I don't want to change my deck. You should ban this isn't necessarily the most healthy mindset. I think that you should be willing to adapt and change. So saying I don't want to play the type of magic that this creates, I guess. But like, why don't you try to adapt? See if you enjoy any of the play patterns that you could possibly create here. And if none of it's for you, I guess so. Maybe you can take a break or whatever. Um, But there are cards that deal with it. Brian, you just mentioned the mono blue deck. Foil is a card that popped up this week, and people have found creative ways to use it. So Prismatic Strands out of the uh, Cog Gate deck, which is right up Phil's alley. I think Phil should actually record a video with that. Um, Like that deck plays Deep Analysis, Prismatic Strands. You actually turn the discard of Foil into a benefit. And with all these new Pauper duels out of Dominaria, you now have eight duels between these duels plus the Kaldheim duels. So you actually have a ton of islands to support it. So foil is actually a pretty reasonable answer. And if you foil that turn one creature, 
you're trading their three or four cards for your three, plus you get graveyard synergies. So I actually thought it made a lot of sense. And these are the sort of cool things that happen at level two. We didn't really get to see level two because they clipped it. So one thing that I want to say here, uh, and I think the easiest way to do this is probably making a legacy parallel. Um, when Oko took over legacy, it wasn't just like archetypes that died. It was like macro archetypes that died. So it was very hard to play a prison deck. It was very hard to play any sort of stacks deck. It was hard to play a creature-based control deck like Death and Taxes. So most of the spectrum of decks that I played, and like the entire spectrum, was just not competitive for six months or, or whatever it was. And I have a feeling that the initiative might have outclassed ranges of popper decks rather than just invalidating a single player's I archetype. had that exact idea I have not in my head. Okay. Uh, I was also thinking of Oko as something that, you know, abrupt decay it. What's the problem? It's a three-minute spell that doesn't win the game on the spot. Play Pyroblast. Play uh, Spell Pierce. Play your own Okos. Get into a, like, high-skill, how many elks do I make? How food, like, should I elk their thing that gives them one more elk than I have but takes their important permanent out of the play? Oko mirrors were extremely high skill and rewarded good play. But like Phil said, what if your deck's not red for Pyroblast? What if your deck's not green black for Abrupt Decay? Uh, what if you're mono white? What if you're Death and Taxes? And like when Skyclave Apparition was printed, Death and Taxes players were like, oh baby, we're back. And they, they just needed a removal spell because the color just didn't even have one that could affect Oko until that printing. And knocking out the macro archetypes like i think that's dope too like using foil as and like ways like flashback spells to mitigate card disadvantage and stuff these decks even when you're on the draw i think that's dope as hell but also not every deck can put foil in it, it it's not like we have we can just add four mental missteps to every deck to fight the dark ritual decks and move on with our lives and we all played mental misstep legacy and remember how fucked up that was so it, it's it just I don't think the tools are there for enough of the format. And if we're wiping out swaths of macro archetypes, it's just not good. So we mentioned decks like Affinity being favored, fairies, Kadaltha Red, Elves, plus this Cogate deck. That's five of the top decks in the format. And then Natural Burn apparently just beat it even without Kadaltha Red just because they're a faster deck. So six decks i mean i understand this is not a super large number but this these are decks that are already on top of the metagame and i understand what you're saying about oko and it makes a lot of sense to me that said i think popper is actually dealing with a much larger issue that initiative is a symptom of which is it's an eternal format with an ever-growing card pool and it's actually a very similar problem that legacy faces where over the last five years we've received a lot of fire design cards and people have this fond memory of playing their mono black chittering rats deck from 2014 all the way to 2018. And they're like, make mono black rats good again. And they want their deck to be good, but their deck was never going to be good again. And it's not initiative's fault. That deck was already on the outer fringe and it's just more cards being printed that are good that are shutting it out. So people look at this and they blame initiative for the, their pet deck not being good, but is it actually initiative or is it the fact that the cards now are just so powerful that everything on the outskirts is being scaled out and the next thing is going to push it anyway? I think you're dragging one 
excellent point into this conversation where it doesn't necessarily fit completely. Because I agree, we've had this conversation about Legacy and about Popper and about every other format. Like, cards get printed. It's a non-rotating internal format. Stuff's going to get invalidated. Things are going to shift. Uh, you can't expect your 2008 win rate with your 2008 deck in 2022. Uh, same is true in, in all of these formats. And you do need to adjust. But I, and, and you're right, Mono Black Jittering Rats is, the problem was not the initiative. But I think that the, you all are just haters. Chittering rats is so I'm, fun. I love a chittering rats. I have mono black chittering rats foiled out in my closet in a literally like rusted out old metal deck box from probably 2007, 2008 from that era when I was playing a lot of popper in college. I own that deck. You don't need to sell me on how dope it is, but it's just not good anymore. There's a lot of stuff and fire design shifted some stuff, but I think a design that over time chittering ratsing your opponent to lock out their draw step two or three times in a row doesn't win a game anymore over years of printings is different than this one mechanic across seven cards four or five of which are easy to turn one immediately stomps out a whole lot of things and there is no creative solution uh, like unless they print like something to the tune of mental misstep or some sort of color agnostic foil effect. There are decks that will never be able to invent their way out of being on the draw against the initiative deck. Yeah. And as far as like back to Bryant's point of adaptation, if you liked the chittering rats deck, you know, you can shift to something that has the monarch mechanic in it and play a reasonable imitation of the deck that you used to play, you know, something in the same vein in a lot of cases. Yeah, Thorn of the Black Rose slaps. You can put that into mono black control and try to keep up the the black white pestilence deck with Guardian of the Guild Pact that never dies to pestilence. You just hard lock any creature strategy while burning out your opponent. You can do this stuff. You can play big mana decks. You can win with Grey Merchant. None of those things are none of those things it's are hard. are gonna be foiling a turn one play out of a deck without islands in it. I'd like to make a point here. So initiative was legal for two and a half weeks on Magic Online. That's not a large enough sample size, in my opinion, to allow people to adapt. If you think about it, it is faster than the fastest ban in the history of Legacy, which was Underworld Breach. The Popper format panel has that power. I just don't know if it's necessarily the best thing to just ban something before people can possibly react. This mechanic was not so strong that I think if you gave it two weeks that it was like there's a possibility. I'm willing to admit that initiative was over the line. I'm, I'm just saying that I wish they would have gave it at least another week and a half for a full calendar month to see if the metagame could have possibly adjusted and find out if it's actually a one top eight per week deck. If it, like if there's two events every weekend and it puts up two in the top eight, that's probably a reasonable deck. But we never actually got to find that out because they clipped it so quickly. And I guess that's my biggest issue is not allowing things to pan out and just going like, oh, people online really hate these cards. Let's just ban it. I don't love that. I just think that there probably should have been a little bit more time. The case that I've always made for Popper is that it's legacy without the bullshit. Like you're not going to get show and told. You're not going to get stormed out, at least not on turn one everybody gets a chance to unfold their game plan and then you jockey for position and whoever is favored in the matchup or plays better or makes better decisions will win later on down the road. I think that 
anything that threatens that balance is a problem. Maybe initiative is like a 40% win rate deck, but all 40 of those percents are just fucking misery. Other other data that might be getting looked at is how many people are queuing into the popper leagues at all. How many unique players dropped off because maybe they do split one and one playing against initiative twice across their five round league and just those or maybe they play against it once and they lose and they're just like this sucks i'm out like i want to when i play popper i want to settle in and execute a game plan i could play legacy with force of will in my deck if i want to fence with oops all spells i just don't think it's worth the risk it's definitely a fast ban uh there's not a lot of public numbers that support it i agree with all those points i just I, i think that there's more at play here than than numbers and a line where the numbers cross one other thing that I want to bring up here is how difficult it was physically to get the initiative cards online. So I know Brian and I both tried to record with this deck and the cards weren't available via subscription services like card hoarders yet. And individual copies of commons were north of $15. And a lot of these decks would play like 12 of these effects. Uh, like there were like very easily north of like $300 popper decks on magic online where the cards aren't even real. Uh, it was just very much a shocker to like see that I was priced out of playing popper of all things as like a vintage and legacy. Content yes. Creator. I, my, my loan program couldn't keep them in stock. And when I went to frequently, I'll just buy a card if I'm, two cards short and and the the loaner doesn't have it i'll just go buy it for the league and sell it and take my my two ticket loss or whatever those things were 15 tickets for this common and i was like okay i can put 80 tickets into this lose 10 or 12 of them on the resale on the back end and maybe have a bad time and maybe this thing will be banned before the video comes out i'm just gonna pass and that's frustrating too i i I can't speak for everyone, but I, on one of my popper videos, somebody, I mean, obviously internet comments can tend to be unhinged, but someone was like, uh, snuff out is an outrageous investment just to play common magic cards. Snuff out at the time, I think was like eight or nine tickets on magic online. They're 20 and now. It, yeah, they're, they're 20 now. They're, they just keep going up. There hasn't been a reprint, but like two legacy players, $8 for a card. Uh, 32 for the set sure free. that that's magic they're basically giving them away whatever my whole deck costs 50 bucks if 32 of it was snuff out so that's fine and this is this format's kappa cannoneer or minsk and right and scenario and i like the idea that somebody would feel so strongly that eight eight dollars for a magic card i don't even think i was playing four i think i had three in the deck uh like 24 dollars for three magic cards is disqualifying for an archetype like this is insane this is a a huge financial risk to move in on this in this case they would have been right who spent three hundred dollars on initiative cards farmed popper leagues for a week and lost their three hundred dollars that's tough uh i feel for those people and and that's the real fallout of bands that is the cost of the cards associated and popper should be the format where that's not a huge hit but in this case it was because of the way magic online rolls out not that i think that any of that should be part of the original conversation i'm not even sure how we got here but 
yeah, I, I record vintage and legacy and I couldn't get my hands on these popper cards. I've played more. I recorded four decks with Minsk and boo and I have zero decks with raged battle rager, whatever this thing's called. A slightly different topic. I was talking with a popper content creator and I'm not going to share their name because, well, I don't want them to get hatred on the internet. Well, I was talking to them about my experience playing the initiative deck and they said that they found with talking with other people is a lot of popper players, they see hands that are land spells keep and they don't really think past that point. The average popper player, you might be so good that that's not the case. Listener, certainly not Phil. I mean, come on, Phil. Phil always keeps lands and spells. Come on. Uh, Island Ponder, baby. Uh, But realistically speaking, lands and spells, a lot of people keep these. This individual brought to me with the point of, well, lands and spells aren't good enough against initiative. You have to have a, a coherent game plan, and people haven't had to mulligan with that in mind since Days and Gush were banned. He's like, it's been five years since that's been uh, a real thing, and people aren't used to those play patterns. As someone who plays other formats, I think about that all the time when I mulligan with the Epic Storm and Legacy or Modern Twiddle Storm or whatever. Hands have to do something quickly. People don't do that in Popper because the games tend to go a little bit longer. Like when you look at the Boros deck, it doesn't even really start playing Magic until turn four, right? Like you have all these tap lands, you have gates, you have your setup creatures. But for the most part, they're just getting comfy on turn four, am I right? And initiative is at that point pressing. They could, like those decks are certainly capable of playing a meaningful game early, but the average hand doesn't do that. And I think that's part of the problem is People don't want to mulligan lands and spells. Those are keeps in their mind. Not that an initiative needed to stay. I don't feel that way. But the format isn't used to that. And I guess that's like sort of an argument for banning it, but does it need to be? This is this is wild because like I have lived in this no cantrip life for so long where like I'm so used to evaluating my opening hand based on like what it does contextually, how I expect the game to play out, what I'm missing remembering that many people go it has lands and it has spells i will keep this hand like as a strategy that's that's tough for me to take that step back and see yeah and the mulliganing to a specific game plan thing is what i was talking about before of pauper is legacy without the bullshit i want to be able to settle in and make my land drops, get the texture, resolve a couple preordains or crack a terramorphic expanse to get my, my red mana up, cast my scred. Like this is the type of pace that the format is built around. And I don't think it's a failing of players for not wanting to ball to five. So then they can discard three cards to foil. That sucks. Even if you are on the galaxy brain of like, I'm going to ball to five and find like two islands foil, other cards slither blade and crack the initiative matchup that play pattern sucks is what it is uh, it, it's just bad yeah, it's it's like mulliganing to your ley line of the void in legacy like you know you've got to do it in a lot of cases it doesn't necessarily right, but feel good. legacy has the tools where you can do that in one or two cards like you can go to five find a ley line or go to five find a force of will or an endurance or whatever your zero mana spell is a surgical extraction popper's best zero mana spell costs you three cards to cast it and they have and one of them has to have a specific value well two of them do if you if you consider being the card foil as a value and then being an island as a value for the support card i just think that sucks 
And like we have legacy, we have vintage, even modern can get pretty messed up with all the, the cascade spells flying around and stuff. Like there's plenty of eternal formats, non-rotating formats where you can get a little, you can expect to mulligan to turn zero or one interaction and that be the right play. I think popper should be as an its identity, a place where you get to develop a game plan and you're not really at risk of dying until turn three or beyond. Cause in the past, like I would keep these slow, ponderous, literally ponderous, like ponder preordained brainstorm hands in is it or, or blue black fairies. And it's like, all right, I got two islands, a couple of cantrips. As long as I find my mountain or my swamp by turn three, I'll have removal up. And then suddenly like, uh Oh, that's a get to fire slinger or whatever the, the one mana tutu is. Uh, that that's a thermo alchemist. Like th- this needs to happen faster than I thought. And that's the kind of tension and pressure that I think is interesting. Cause it still gives me one or two turns to find my splash color and cast my removal spell and maybe get ahead of this thing before it deals four to me. But the initiative is like, Oh, you're doing this. Cool. Next game. I guess I'll multiply five trying to find a dispel. It sucks. I'm not into it. I'm glad it's gone. The more we talk through this, I was honestly pretty indifferent about the announcement. I was like, oh, okay, I guess that could have gone either way. At least Dark Ritual didn't go. And we're, we're like 42 minutes into this conversation and I'm off it. Fuck the initiative. Wow. Two minute version. Uh, let's say some quick things on affinity. Um, I, I know there are a lot of very vocal people in the popper community that like want the bridges burned. They want those artifact lands out there. They've it felt like affinity has like, despite some bannings has still just had dominance. Um, but the data is showing that, I don't know, it had something like a 51% win rate or something like that, like just North of breaking even win rate. So the data, at least for that deck doesn't support any bannings and affinity is just a consistently good, consistently viable strategy. Yeah. Uh, Alex Allman uh, is a pal and he does all the data crunching and stuff who we've shouted him out several times in this episode, probably every two or three weeks, he slides into my DMS. He's like uh, eyeball emoji or whatever. And it just shows fairies with some far and away highest win rate. Cause he knows I love a spell stutter sprite. And I'm just like, leave my girl alone. Don't you touch her. Leave my, leave my little fairy alone. Uh, don't take my ninjas from me. Uh, but in like a in a metagame where something isn't obviously head and shoulders above everything else, like when we had the Chatterstorm, when we had can't even remember what some of the other bands were, but this initiative won recently as well. Is if something isn't obviously cracking the rules of engagement, the the blue cantrip deck with cheap interaction and card advantage will float to the top eventually. The affinity stuff's interesting to me. If you asked me four or five months ago, do you think we should burn the bridges? I would have said, burn, eh, burn the bridges. Uh, uh, ban the Hashtag bridges. burn the bridges. Yeah, yeah. It, it was clever. I'm, I'm the smart. Uh, if we should ban bridges, I would have said absolutely not. I love the uh, Cleansing Wildfire Just Guy Control deck or the Cleansing Wildfire Jun Midrange deck. I thought both of those were really sweet. In the last three or four months, those decks have just completely left Popper. People have figured out that they're not actually viable. Are they sweet? Absolutely. I love a rampant growth that cycles. Hell yeah. But those decks just like aren't competitive enough. Even before initiative, they were nowhere to be found. Fairies push them out. Familiars, affinity, 
there's a ton of really powerful decks in this format, and those decks were just a little bit too dirtily. They're reminiscent of like the Monarch Mirror, where it's all about card advantage and, ooh, maybe I'll deck them. Maybe that becomes the win condition. Like, it wants to play that style of magic. Now that those decks have sort of left the format and you're just left with Affinity and people are playing uh, Dust to Dust, I believe the card is called, and Revoke Existence just to hit Artifact Lands, I could see it happening if an Affinity's win rate increases at all. But some people are like, no, go after the draw choose. Are you really going to ban uh, Deadly Dispute, Reckoner's Bargaining, and Thoughtcast, or just leave them with Thoughtcast? I think that's a terrible path to go down. You should probably just hit the lands if you have to hit anything. I've also seen some people ask for a compromise. They're like, PFP, please listen to me. I have the perfect idea. Ban Bridges and unban Atog. Do not do this. Atog was miserable. I hated the Splinter Twin games, where one game you're dying to a 4-4 plus Galvanic Blast the next turn, next game. Oh, they have nothing into, surprise, Atog fooling your dad. It was miserable. We don't need Splinter Twin and Pauper. Uh, coming from an old head here, uh, I remember Affinity when it just had the Mirrodin artifact lands, and being able to actually cast its spells was a huge limitation of that deck. It had to play like Chromatic Sphere, Chromatic Star, pris- Prophetic Prism, just to sometimes cast your Atog off of Great Fur or not Great Furnace, uh, Tree of Tales and and the White One or whatever. Or like that deck, that deck was just like three three and four four theme deck with Oriox Sun Chaser, which is a white card, Carapace Forger, which is a green card. You get your Mirror Enforcer, which was the the glue that held all together. Then you had Atog in red. Some of them even had Disciple in black. They were five-color decks playing what are functionally basic lands. That deck needed to do work to make its things happen. And you got Mox Monkey. You could just... Any red deck could just rip apart their mana base for a red and X and destroy X lands. And that thing just sits in play until they answer it. It was really exploitable. And those... I think those... Cleansing Wildfire Rampant Growth decks are dope too, but they're gone. People figured out they could just play Grixis Control with Thoughtcast in it and with Gearseeker Serpent in it. Like I think those decks are, are really ugly. Uh, like Having a control deck that just gets all the best pieces of affinity and the best pieces of control. Like The first time I played against a deck that cast Thoughtcast on turn two and then cast Counterspell Gurmag Angler on turn three and four, I was like, oh, this is where we are in this world? And a bunch of brews I've been sent in Popper. My rebuilds at the end of the brew, it's like, well, this would be better if we replaced the mana base with artifact lands, all the artifact duels, get some deadly disputes and thought casts in here. And it's the same win con. It's just supported by this busted engine. And I, I think the bridges actually should go. I don't think they're good. I like affinity as an, as a pillar of the format. I think some artifact lands should stay, but I do think the bridges are too good. So I want to mic drop and then we can move on. Dust to Dust is not really a good card in Popper. I have tried so many decks where that is my artifact hate. It is not enough. Like, you think you live in this magical world where you will, like, double sinkhole your opponent and then they are just going to die. They just rebuild. That card is not nearly as good as people imagine it is when they are constructing their sideboards. And I think if you can rely on other hate or other strategies to navigate that matchup in a different way, um, you should consider. Phil, are you telling me that the three mana double white sorcery has a tough time keeping up with one blue draw two cards? Wow. I am. 
I know it is it is a shocker to hear, but I have ha- I have played so many lists where there's four of that card in the sideboard, and it just like felt like a a very bad, very slow removal. You spell. heard it here on the Eternal Glory podcast. Dusted us is absolute trash. The words of Phil Gallagher. All right, and more words from me. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Scroll Rack. Scroll Rack is a decklist recommendation bot that pulls lists from pre-existing decks in the CEDH decklist database and Budget Brew websites. If you've heard us talk about CEDH on the podcast or on various social media sites, um, you know that we're really interested in the format. But if you want to get into it without drudging through all of the databases yourself, please consider checking out Kyle Ashmore's site Scroll Rack. It'll even ask you what budget you have in mind, or maybe archetype and color schemes that you'd like to use, and it'll, uh, you know, shoot out some deck lists for you to take a look at. So, Phil, uh, I heard that there were some Lord effects in Dominaria United for creature, you know, themed strategies. This is your wheelhouse. You've been playing it with a ton of these decks. I've lost to some of these decks. What are your thoughts? So, when I first saw this cycle of Lords previewed, I thought thought they were going to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread in their respective archetypes and i started playing with them and i was way less impressed than i thought it would than i thought i would be um and so i kind of just wanted to round out the podcast by talking about some of the things that i've seen and uh compare it to what you've all seen um why don't we start with our goblin lord runvelt horde master so for those of you not familiar with it it's one colorless and a red for a 1-1 one, one goblin warrior. It gives other goblins you control plus one, plus one. And whenever it or another goblin you control dies, exile the top card of your library. If it's a goblin creature card, you may cast that card until the end of your next turn. That sounds really good. Giving card advantage and redundancy when goblins die? Goblins are really good at dying. Phil, what could go wrong? Well, here's the thing. I, I played a league with this, and in five rounds, I did not successfully get a single trigger that allowed me to cast a goblin in five rounds and this is with a deck with like three skirk prospectors uh and a couple of sling gang lieutenants so i have my own uh like sacrifice outlets to kind of make this go off and i was playing with like mog war marshals to give me extra fodder and not once did i get a successful trigger i have not seen this thing trigger very often either i have seen Really cool looking screenshots being shared around the legacy community and modern community uh, getting retweeted. Okay, I lied. I played against this thing in modern and it was pretty fire. But in legacy, which is the format we generally talk about, other than some cool screenshots, I've seen this thing come into play and I kill it. Or endurance is still bigger than all the goblins. No, you, you, you exile right, it, yeah. which is worse. Uh, yeah, white removals everywhere. Uh, this card incentivizes you to lean harder into plague engineer because it's a one one at base where a lot of the creature themed decks have been skewing away from one ones uh to the point where hello newton's elves deck is it even an elves deck anymore or is it just the rock did newton go spend two years just reinventing a 28 year old deck who knows but getting away from plague engineer is a big part of playing a deck like this and Filling your deck with this one one that buffs all the other things, but when it dies, all the other things get small too. And and hilariously, it dies first. Like if you plague engineer, 
this one has to die first and then everything else dies. So you don't even get like all four of the triggers of four creatures die. This dies first, you get the one and then the three other creatures die. So there's another problem too. Uh, and I realized this really quickly after starting to test this card. Your goblin lackey hands get way worse than in traditional goblins because you're lowering your curve considerably. You're going to run like the version that I played ran a single goblin ringleader and two copies of Muxus. So if you're missing out on more of your high end targets, you're not cheating nearly as much mana with goblin lackey. And that means that your goblin lackey starts just aren't as objectively as powerful and threatening. I'm going to ask you a question here, Phil. Is Legacy in a spot where goblin ringleader is really what the games are about? I understand that card advantage can be important. And I remember when goblins was the best deck in the format in like 2008. In today's Legacy, is revealing two or three or even four goblins off the top. Is that really what the games are about playing goblins? I'm not speaking from the highest position of authority here. I think you want some amount of endgame inevitability versus the blue decks, especially like these Yorian blue decks that really want to drag the game on and get a lot of value over time. And like the ringleaders can help you recover from the early like prismatic endings or maybe getting, uh, you know, ambushed in combat by an Ice Fang Kowadl or an Endurance. So like, I like what's going on there. That said, the blue decks are now picking up test uh, things like Minsk and Boo that threaten to just end the game more quickly. Um, you know, the same is true with Merktide Regent. So this newer Goblins deck list has a potential, a greater potential of like a combo based kill. Um, but it doesn't feel smooth to me. And it kind of feels like I'm playing a deck where I need to assemble like four different cards to win the game and the, a lot of the moving pieces like say skirk prospector or mog war marshal aren't like objectively very good legacy cards yeah and this sort of pushes you from like the classic goblins thing is that it can play aggro combo prison or control and morph based on the matchup might even take on two or three of those roles in a single game uh, based on letting matron tie all your your pieces together and i really like goblins i like that it has stayed legacy viable this long uh even if it's not in the top tier it's never far behind and goblins players are are working hard to keep it relevant and i think a card like this if you're not in if you're not getting a lot of games that are literally like attack you with my three goblins two of them trade with two of your creatures i flip two more goblins like if that, those are not the play patterns and the play patterns are closer to like jockey to Muxus or wasteland you port you while my vial ticks up. I, I think you end up in I, I mentioned Hello Newton's build of elves, which no Quirion Ranger, no Nettle Sentinel, lower on Heritage Druids. Nettle Sentinel was always the worst card in elves, except when you were going nuts. And when you weren't going nuts, Nettle Sentinel was terrible. And you just kind of open yourself up to these these hands where it's like, well, I drew two Skirk Prospectors, but no Horde Master. That's it. Uh, and uh, I would I tend to favor density of dope spells versus moving cogs that have to line up correctly. I also found this deck to be exceptionally difficult to sideboard with. And I say that as someone who 
is generally speaking pretty good at figuring out how to sideboard on the fly given like the range of decks that i play and i was looking at this going like how many of these gears can i actually remove and have my deck still do its thing because i was feeling like hey this mog war marshal is the worst card in my deck can i actually take that out and still do my thing uh, I, I felt very awkward and very unsure about myself sideboarding with goblins is tough right now uh shout out to eli goblin lackey uh, he's got a goblin Patreon, and I recorded goblins a couple weeks ago, and he was really generous with some information from behind his paywall. And the sideboarding plans genuinely surprised me. I would not have figured out some of the things he told me on my own. And they're, the goblin community, uh, like I said, they're getting clever to solve problems. Modern problems require modern solutions. And they are being clever about it, and it's completely unintuitive. And that's with just kind of stock, these are the cool goblins and matron and ringleader to tie it together kind of business. I have no idea what sideboarding looks like now if you have this combo edge to the deck as well. So um, I I have seen borderline none of the elf one in in play. I've seen a couple of Twitter screenshots. The general impression that I have gotten from the elves community is that like, it's maybe not even worth a slot in any of the builds. Yeah, I I think I saw it in play once and it didn't do much. So uh, not impressed with that one. I don't think we need to spend much time on that one. We looked up what the black one did just because we couldn't remember it before recording. That one's not going to be relevant. Uh, I don't know what the white one is either. Uh, not on my radar. Soldiers. OK, sure. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Yeah, um, the the white one maybe sees some play if we ever get the initiative cards on the other initiative cards on Magic Online. I think those are human soldiers. I would sure. have to double check. But a deck I have seen multiple times is Merfolk. And Merfolk actually got two pieces of action. There is the Lord that's in this two mana Lord cycle, which is that is Vodalian right. Hex. It's Hector. a one one flash for one in a blue flash is huge, like a Lord with flash. Uh, remember Thistledown Lage in uh, in Lorwyn Standard and Lorwyn Block? Like, changing the size of your army mid-combat? Pretty insane. And it has other words on it. Sacrifice a merfolk, counter-target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one. So it turns your whole squad into Curse Catchers. The, the nod in the Hex Catcher in its name. Yeah, Curse Catcher used to be one of the things that made merfolk hang in legacy environment like you couldn't just go in on ad nauseum quickly because you had to factor in this stupid one one that could force spike it from play and now they can turn their whole squad bigger in combat or turn their whole squad into four spikes at instant speed which is pretty cool one of the things that i love about this hex catcher is over the last five or six years merfolk has become a dirty dirty chalice of the void deck something that only phil could love and in that time period first of all merfolk is the deck that i hate most it is in my opinion the okay. worst wow. legacy deck coming Full in stop. hot wow Here's phil well i hate the Catcher. worst legacy deck from someone who plays the worst terrible legacy, legacy deck. decks day in and day out merfolk is the worst one period merfolk does nothing good we're having some hot takes today I it's, love it. it's worse than a lot of the other like lord based decks at, at just like everything it's not interactive enough it's not aggressive enough like it claims to be good at blue decks but they're just gonna bury you anyway like 
No, I hate okay. it. <laughs> so anyway, Chalice of the Void. A lot of these deck lists cut Curse Catcher because it doesn't play well, ch- well with Chalice. Yes, they can play something like Cavern of Souls, but for the most part, everyone cut Curse Catcher. Well, this Hex Catcher gets around the Chalice 1 problem, and I don't think that it was an accident that this card was created. I think a lot of people that are in play design or merfolk enthusiasts worked on this and said, this is really what we want, and then this card was created. I know that Phil might not be high on this card due to our pre-episode uh, conversation, but I've had my butt kicked with it across formats. I've lost to it in Modern multiple times, and I've certainly lost to it in Legacy. card's really good from a combo perspective. Yeah, clarifying, when your opponent is playing a deck that really needs to resolve a singular spell, you know, a show-and-tell, an ad nauseum, a a burning wish, something or like like that, this card is really good. But, like, this card also suffers from the same Plague Engineer problem, where, like, if you don't have multiple lords, you lose this, and then you lose, you know the curse catchers or the tide shapers that this thing was protecting. And Merfolk doesn't actually have a high enough density of good cards to be a legacy deck. Um, you, you end up playing a lot of cards that are just horribly embarrassing in the average legacy match. So like Merfolk Trickster and Harbinger of the Tides, for example, are awful in a huge percentage of legacy matches like it you are playing two twos with a restrictive mana cost i don't know if we mentioned this when we were initially discussing the cards i was a little bit zoned out i'm sorry uh but i love the old school throwback feel of these and when i think of my childhood years playing with like zombie master goblin king lord of atlantis up until i want to say brian might be able to correct me here up until like m12 they were all lords they weren't merfolk they weren't goblins or zombies they were just lords and they didn't pump other creatures or well they didn't pump themselves like they pump other creatures i meant to say uh there was a creature type update i think they figured that out at some point uh where yeah, uh, that's why they're called Lords now, for those of you who don't know that terminology. Uh, Lord of Atlantis was literally blue-blue cre- summon Lord and gave Merfolk plus one plus one. Now it is a Merfolk that gives other Merfolk plus one plus one because it was one of those things that in the early days, I guess, made sense. But at some point, someone in in R&D was like, wait, why why doesn't the second Lord of Atlantis help the first one? And they've just you know, printed for them to be be better since then. Yeah, I just love the old school feel of not pumping themselves, but being Lord effects and that sort of thing. It just makes me remember my childhood a little bit. And I thought that was a nice touch from play design. Yep. And it's entirely intentional. This is Dominaria United. Dominaria is the place where we spent the first long time. Uh, I let's see. Uh, I think in the original days, it, they were calling it Dominia, and Dominaria came later, uh, like around like the Weatherlight Saga. Was Dominaria was like finally called Dominaria? Might might have been Mirage before that, but until we got to when did we leave the plane? Like the ra- like Wrath is a different plane, but it was the story of the Wrath cycle in like Tempest Stronghold Exodus was these adventurers from Dominaria went to Wrath to fight Valrath and then came back to Dominaria to save Dominaria. Yeah, we were there for a very long time, and all of this is a throwback. I 
I bought my boxes from my local store. I, I usually buy two boxes every time a set comes out. And one of the edges of the box that are the side, they gave it the uh, alpha beta box color treatment, like that sort of like faded yellowy brown that those boxes were. And my brain chemicals fired when I saw that. I was like, oh my God. Uh, these little nods, uh, like calling it Hexcatcher as a nod to Cursecatcher, being a classic creature type lord in in the vein of alpha yeah they knew what they were doing with these and these are going to be really popular and probably five and ten dollar bills forever every every edh deck it's not about like the best one like we're talking about legacy here but it's just about like you know, we only get one of each so just give us more and i'll put it in my edh deck forever and this sort of thing is popular i want to shout out though that merfolk did not only get one card, they got two. And this is not even, in my opinion, the good one. It's a good one. But more importantly, Emperor Mihail II. This card, uh, one blue-blue, legendary creature, Merfolk Noble. Shout out Mike Noble. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast Merfolk spells from the top of your library. Whenever you cast a Merfolk spell, you may pay one. If you do, create a 1-1 one, one blue Merfolk token. Let's think of something that was already happening in Legacy, which is Thoughtlash plus Thassa's Oracle and Paradigm Shift. That was already a combo deck that exists. If you have Mihel in play, you can look at the top card of your library at any time. If you have Thoughtlash in play, you can exile the top card of your deck to prevent the next damage to you. You can exile cards until you see the Thassa's Oracle, which you can cast from the top of the deck. And you, then you cast it, and then in response to its trigger, exile the rest of your deck with Thought Lash. The Thought Lash, I've experienced this as well, makes the creature half of the deck unraceable. Like you slap Mer Merktide region into play, try to go up in the air, they're like, sure, exile the top seven cards of my deck, bash you for six on the swing back. By the way, I'm threatening an Oracle kill. This is a really scary dimension. There's some hybrid lists floating around there that present the... You know, Merfolk Curve, they have the Lords, they have the Island Walk, they got all that. But then they also have Thought Lash, and they can rip with Mihail until they find Oracle. And they're threatening both at all times. And I have a lot of respect for those decks. I don't think I've lost to them yet. I think I've played against them three times and narrowly won all three. But it's scary having to think about two things where Supreme Verdict might not be a game ender, which it always has been in the past. You can also... all. Uh sometimes find paradigm shift in that deck because it does play into the thought lash combo as well so that version of merfolk has been around for a while this is just like another tool to go along with that game plan right and even if you don't have thought lash it's just card advantage just casting merfolk off the top of your deck realm walker has done cool things for uh creature type decks i've been submitted many brews based on realm walker's ability to just shred cards and decks that don't naturally have a ton of card advantage silver gill adept was one of the best cards in merfolk forever just two one draw card it let you push ahead of the swords of plowshares two for one the plows two for one the red blasts your opponent has to find a sweeper or some sort of lock piece to actually slow down your development and mihail on a mid-game board even if you have six lands in play just vial this in cast three two drops i mean that's the nuts but it could happen that couldn't happen before and you can look at the top card of your deck at any time. So when you cast the Merfolk from the top of your deck, you can then peek at the top card of your deck before you decide if you want to pay one to make a 1-1 blue Merfolk token. 
Like if, if the party's over and you're not spending more mana, just poop out a token. You went from one creature to three uh, from one card. It's this one is really good. I think this one is better than the other one. And the two do play well together because you can make some extra merfolk tokens that you can then sack via the Fodalian hex catcher uh, as your repeated curse right. catchers. Like a, a vial on three with one card in hand and your opponent passes the turn. They could be representing vial in Mihail, flash in hex catcher from the top of the deck, pay one for spike you three times. Like that could happen from nothing. And that's just a really scary dimension. Obviously, that's nuts and you you wouldn't know it's there when you go for it. But like it's a lot of resources from nothing where normally the game plan from at least the control side is. Uh, pick off the Lord, pick off the Lord, keep them on the island walk, stick a creature so now I can block. And now we start to move forward. And when they run out of cards, they're out of cards. And that's how the matchup works. But now they have a combo kill and a reload. And the reloader is also part of their combo kill. Really impressive. But don't let all of this get you too excited about Merfolk. I played a league with it, and it was it was pretty miserable. I will tell you. I, I, I think I won one match. It was against Reanimator, where I mulled to a Leyline and had Leyline plus Force of Will. The fish that were in my deck were irrelevant. I won I one match with of... Initiative, Phil, and then it was banned. So Merfolk might be so good that it needs a banning. I'm just going to throw that out there. I didn't consider that angle. I played yeah. a bunch of Merfolk when Modern Horizons 2 came out and we got Tide Shaper and Rashad and Dockhand. Those were two things people wanted to see in decks. And I did 5-0 one of those leagues and I did not 5-0 the other two leagues. And I, I do want to offer the criticism that, and I know Phil constantly makes this argument, the the Merfolk deck doesn't have enough blue sources. I know Phil's on on team more planes in in death and taxes always has been uh getting flooded out on muta vaults and wastelands and rashad and ports and whatever the hell that doesn't actually cast your spells it was a problem i ran into i would probably play one more land overall and turn one of the colorless lands blue so two more blue sources one overall more land based on at least the merfolk decks that i tried over the past year i haven't gotten a chance to play with these new mihel decks yet I played a 20 land version with two Mutavolt. So my mana base was 12 Island, four Cavern, two Mutavolt, two Ottawara. That that was that yeah, was that comfortable. Good. I like that. All right. Um, well, we originally had uh, said that we might go into the, some of the Unfinity stuff, but uh, you'll just have to get that content by scrolling through Twitter, I suppose, and maybe we'll revisit it next episode. We rambled on quite a bit today, but it felt like a really good yeah, discussion. Yeah, we will have plenty to say about Unfinity. Uh, unlike other unsets in the past, some of the cards will be legal in Legacy, and that is freaking some people out. Spoiler season started today at the time of recording, Tuesday, September 20th. We're starting to see some of the first cards that will be legal in Legacy, and we're seeing the first community reactions to them as well, and wow, people are coming hot. But two weeks from now, we'll see the whole set. We'll be able to talk about it, and... Maybe people have chilled out by then. I have one quick thing to say before we officially end this. I believe it's uh, Mark Rosewater has a blog where Mark Rosewater shares secrets about the set. Like mm. card with plus 12 plus 12 counter or whatever. Something wild. Well, one of them says a card that creates multiple Stormcrow tokens. I've been saying for years that I want Crowstorm to be a real card. 
I have not been contacted about a preview card. If this card is spoiled and it's a real legacy card, I'm going to lose my shit. Not only because I can play Crowstorm and Legacy, but because no one contacted me, Mark Rosewater. No one. No <laughs> one contacted the Storm guy. Come on. Yeah, I, I think that Crowstorm could be a black-bordered card. Uh, I don't think it's out of bounds. Uh, it's probably worse than Empty the Warrens most of the time, but it, it is a cool card that I wish was real, or at least playable. But Infinity is going to be cool. I hope there's some cool stuff, and I promise everyone this is not the end of Legacy. It's not the end of Magic. But we'll see in two weeks if I still feel that way. If there's even a podcast left to record, maybe the game will be dead by then. Yeah, I, uh, I I wrote a banger of a tweet that's going off today. Uh, why don't we end on that? Alrighty, folks. Space Balaran ruined magic. Pack it in. This is the end. We survived the legend rule. The planeswalker rule. The companion rule. Eldrazi Winter. Oko. Fire design. The Walking Dead cards. But this time. Yep. This time. It's all over. This is the one. It's been nice knowing you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. An honor. <laughs>